I hope you have your outlines and you will use them today. We start a series on the family. We're going to be talking about the family and we're going to be talking about husbands and wives and children and old people before it's all over with. So don't you miss any of it because you'll be blessed. God has something to say to us. It was Gloria Estefan who used to sing, we seal our fate by the choices we make and how true that is, especially when it comes to making a decision concerning our eternity. The decision you make and I make will decide where we're going to spend eternity. But next to that, there is another decision that is the second most decision that I believe you will ever make or anyone will ever make. And it's whether you choose to marry or not. And if you choose to marry, who are you going to choose? Very important. And in fact, there is evidence of poor decisions all around us, all around us. We see broken hearts, broken homes, and broken lives. It seems like all the time. Let me give you some statistics that you probably already know some about. One out of two marriages end in divorce. Households headed by single parents are 12 million and on the increase. In fact, it's more than a 25% increase just since 1990. Three million unmarried couples have children. That's a 13% increase just since 2009. Seven and a half million unmarried partners are living together. And it seems like we're saying, we don't know how to do this, and we just decided we want the benefits without the responsibility. So I pray God will speak to you. I want to share a word with you from God's word, how to find that person if you are going to be married in life. Now, some of you are saying, boy, I picked the wrong Sunday to come to church. No, you didn't. Let me tell you why. If you're single and God has called you to be single, then you need to learn this because you got some friends that need some information. If you are someone who are in a marriage already that's having some difficulty, God's going to give you some insight today so you can begin to make a difference in the marriage you write, that you're in right now. And then, if you are a parent or a grandparent, I want you to take serious notes because somebody's going to ask you and you're going to have an opportunity to be a part of that. 
So God will bless. 2 Corinthians verse 6, 14 and 15. I hope you have your copy of God's Word. I want to ask you to stand as I read this aloud this morning. And may God speak to our hearts. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Belial is the Greek word for Satan. Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Now let me share something with you. God is not going to choose your mate for you. You just need to learn that if you haven't already. And also, especially in the Western world, nobody's going to choose your mate for you. So making the decision is very important. And I want you to know that if you're a child of God, God says that he will guide you and give you instructions on decisions that you need to make. So as those vows that you hear at weddings that are so brutally honest, I want you to know when you make that choice, it's for better or for worse. You need to know that. And so God wants to build into our lives some principles. Would you pray with me? Father, we live in a world and in a culture where families are pressed from every side. We live, Father, in a nation that has relegated marriage and the family to one of the low rungs on the ladder. And Father, we know that Satan is working against the church and even more importantly against the families. That's his plan. So, Father, my prayer is that we as a culture and we as your people would begin to understand what conventional marriage is by your word and your authority. And may we be models of your sacrifice in our families so that people will understand that marriage is a picture of your sacrifice for the world. May we give a godly example of love and purity in our homes. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. I want to begin this morning with some general principles about making these kind of decisions. How do you find God's will? How do you know what he's telling you? And then we're going to talk about some specific principles from one of the most greatest passages scripture on choosing a mate that I think there is in the Bible. So let's look at some of the blessed benefits of being a child of God so that we can have what he has promised us. 
Proverbs 3, verse 6 says, In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight, or He will guide your ways. How do I know God wants to help me and wants to give me this kind of insight and help me know what to do? Well, God gives us a number of ways that He speaks to us, and I want you to write these down. First of all, And the most important of all, God guides us through the Bible. Through the Bible. That's the foremost way that he will speak to us. Psalms 119, verse 505. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The Bible is God's guide for us on everything, including marriage. And the Bible, being God's guide, will speak to us if we will allow it to. You need to know and you need to study this word because that's how you're going to get God's will for your life. And the better you know this book, the more you're going to understand God's will for your life. Now, I'm not talking about the skip and dip, just open the Bible and put your thumb somewhere and say, this is who I'm supposed to marry. That could be disastrous. You don't want to do that. But I'm talking about studying God's Word, the entire Word, so that you will know it and you will know what He says about a lot of things, including marriage. Let me give you a second way God speaks to us. God speaks to us through impressions. Did you know that? He does. The Holy Spirit puts ideas in your mind and in my mind. Psalms 32 verse 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you In the way which you should go, I will counsel you with my eye upon you. God gives his followers impressions, ideas in our mind. Now, we don't realize these are from God a lot of times. We want to take credit for them. But let me also warn you that Satan can give you impressions. You have to be careful. We call Satan's impressions temptation. We call God's impressions inspiration. A lot of bright ideals are come from God. A lot of our bright ideals are not our bright ideals. They're God's bright ideas, and we want to take credit for those. God tells us that, we need, that he gives us impressions, but I give you this caution in several of these. You be careful because not all impressions come from God. Impressions can come from a lot of things. They can come from movies, and they can come from books, and they can come from emotions, and they can come from hormones, and they can come from pizza, and they can come from Satan. You just need to be careful about those. But God does use this. And you'll find out in these five ways that when God gives you something, it will line up with the other three or four of these that we're looking at. So that's how you know for sure. Let me give you a third. God guides us through circumstances. Romans 8, 28, you know that passage. For we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. God works through circumstances. He providentially moves things around so that you and I find ourselves in what we may call a chance encounter but it's something that God put together. 
we happen to end up at the right place at the right time, not giving God credit that he, out of his providential care, placed us there. He does that. But again, I have to warn you, not every circumstance is from God. Satan can create circumstances. You need to know that. The devil can create these circumstances. And you know, you can't just say, you're here and I'm here, let's get married. It doesn't work that way. God uses all of these. He uses circumstances many times to confirm what he's been telling us. Let me give you the fourth one. God guides through research or through our intellect, our intelligence. God wants to use your mental and my mental capabilities. Why would God give you a brain and give me a brain if he didn't want to use it? He does want to use it. Many times we say, God, what do you want me to do? And God is saying, I have given you intelligence so that you can know what you've got to do. He solved a lot of our problems by giving us intelligence. And he wants us to use that intelligence. Just the practical, the logical things that we need to do. You know, if I'm on a train track and a train's coming, then the logical, practical thing to do is to get off the track. God gave that to me a long time ago when he gave me a brain. But the Bible tells us that we're to use that, especially in this area of choosing a bride or choosing a groom, choosing a mate. We need to check it out. God tells us to check out so many things. You ought to check out a business if you're planning on getting in it. You need to know all about it. You don't get married until you first observe a lot of things about that person that you feel like you want to marry. You need to know as much about that person as you possibly can. You need to know her background or his background. You need to know the family that they come from. You need to know them in different situations where you can watch them and see. Proverbs 18 verse 13 says, He who gives an answer before he hears... It is folly and shame to him. Don't you get involved in any kind of a relationship before knowing as much as you possibly can about that situation. It may take you some years to know this book, God's Word, and it will if you're not in it. So let me tell you, you need to get a mentor who has walked with the Lord longer than you have who has some knowledge of God's Word, who can give you wise counsel on decisions, including who your mate is going to be. You need to do that. You have that ability that God has given you, and you need to use it. You'll save yourself a lot of heartache, if you will. It will take you, if you are a younger Christian, it will take you a while to know all of God's Word. And during that time, you can begin to take advice and be uh, someone's partner who can pass that on to you as you study God's Word. Proverbs 11 verse 9 says, With his mouth the godless may destroy his neighbor. You can take wrong advice and be destroyed, but through knowledge the righteous will be delivered. You and I have blind spots in our life. And I want you to understand we need to grow and mature as believers until we can go on our own. But during that time, 
We need to have other people point out error to us that we've overlooked, that we have not seen. Let me tell you something. I've told you this on a Sunday night. The younger people in this congregation need to build relationship with the older people. That's how you learn from them. You pick their brain. They've got some good advice. And for us whiteheads, you've got some advice you can pass on. We need to do that. Anytime you make a major decision, especially based on all of this, you need to have a cumulative word from God. You need to have evidence in several ways that he gives you. Not just one. All five of these ways need to to, to, uh, uh, line up with each other. And if they're not... God's telling you something is wrong. And if you still have a check in your spirit, you need to understand God is saying, I have not given you the answer yet. It hasn't come yet. Don't you make such a major decision without that input. Without that input at all. It's what God tells us. What does this verse say? Not just by itself. What is that circumstance? What is that impression? What is that intelligence that I am gleaning and gathering? All of it together. God will never contradict himself. And when you have these, they will all line up together. Let me tell you something. God not say one thing in his word and contradict it somewhere else. Not at all. You need to understand that. When you begin to line these five up, then you begin to have God's gift of giving you his knowledge and his word concerning this. When God speaks to you, listen, it will be clear and and you'll get it unified in everything you're supposed to. 1 Corinthians 14, 33, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. He will not confuse you. He'll give you peace. And if you do not have that peace, God hasn't spoken completely yet. It comes to you accumulative and progressive. What that means is, over a period of time, you begin to see and understand God's plan for your life. Let me tell you something that's hard to hear, but it's so true. God is never in a hurry, and God is never late. Wait on God. That's what I'm saying. That's the most important thing that you can do. It may take a while for God to develop in your heart what you're supposed to do. But let me tell you something, friend. It'll save you from a lifetime of heartache when you follow His will instead of your own. Now I want to give you some specific guidance in finding the right mate. Those are general practices how God speaks but I want you to listen to some specific things. I want to dispel a myth. I said a moment ago that God does not choose your mate for you, and he doesn't, and nobody else will, in this culture at least. But let me tell you something else. Listen to me very carefully. God doesn't have just one special person made in heaven just for you. That's a myth. It sounds wonderful and just precious. But that's not the way it is, folks. 
I want you to understand that. I've had so many people say, God gave me this person specially, and there's no one else in this world for me. Let me tell you about the fallacy of that. If one person messed it up by marrying the wrong person, it'd be messed up for us, for all the rest of us. Do you ever think about that? All would have to happen is one person marry the wrong person, and all of us would be with the wrong person. God doesn't do that. But God does give us some principles that we can choose a mate by. And I want to give you these. And I'm going to give you two non-negotiables before we go to God's uh, scripture and God's word that I want you to see. These are non-negotiables. They are specific principles for the non-negotiables. And we'll give some for the negotiable ones. First of all, you must have spiritual compatibility Spiritual compatibility. And I'm going to get blunt, and I'm going to make some of you mad. I love you, but I'm going to tell you the truth, and I want you to hear it. You must have that. The greatest example of choosing a mate, I believe, is found in Genesis 24. So I want to encourage you to go over to Genesis 24 so you can follow along as I go through this story with you. But I want you to see some things. It's a story of Abraham who sends his most trusted servant to find a bride for his son, Isaac. And the text deals specifically with finding a bride, but it'll work with finding a groom too. So I want you to remember that. The Bible says that Abraham was a man of faith and he uh, is instructed by God to find a certain kind of mate for his son Isaac. Now let me tell you something. This mate was extremely important and essential because Abraham knew that someone had to go on to continue the Semitic race of people that God had given that to in Abraham. And so he is extremely important, uh, is extremely uh, concerned about this. So he has his servant while he's sitting down to put his hand under his thigh. The servant put his hand under Abraham's thigh. And by doing so, he made an oath that Abraham had already given to him. And the oath was that he would not take a bride from the Canaanites because they were pagans but he would go back to the place that Abraham had been raised before he was moved to where he is now and to take a wife from among those people. Don't choose a mate from the ungodly, from the Canaanites. Verse 3 and 4 of Genesis 24, And I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife from my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live, but you will go to my country and to my relatives and take a wife for my son Isaac. Now the Canaanites were pagan, as I told you, and God says you're not to take that from them. Now God's very clear, and you listen carefully to what I'm about to say. We are not to marry an unbeliever as believers. You hear me? That's God's word. And I want you to listen carefully. Try not to get mad till I can say all of this. 
because I want it to soak in to your heart. You and your mate that you are about to marry should be on the same wavelength spiritually in order to have oneness. 2 Corinthians 6.14 But do not be bound together with an unbeliever. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness? And the answer is none. There's no way there can be any fellowship in that. I don't know how to say this any clearer. I'm going to say it as clear as I know. If you have surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, you do not have liberty to choose an unbeliever as a mate. You do not have that liberty. Let me make it a little more specific about this. You cannot commit your life to somebody who has, committed, has not committed their life to the person who is the most important person in your life. That's your Lord Jesus Christ. How can you walk together if that person has no fellowship with the person who's the most important person in all your life? The Lord Jesus Christ. It's pretty simple, but it doesn't work any other way at all. God says it won't happen. It's impossible for you to happen. You will not have spiritual oneness that you could have. You will not obtain emotional oneness. You will not have physical intimacy like you could have if you married someone who loves a Savior that you love. You're not to marry an unbeliever. And if you do, you're blatantly choosing to marry a person over your Heavenly Father. That'll never work, friend. You'll always have trouble with that. God's saying this for your benefit and my benefit. If you want God's best in a partner for life, then you follow His plan. And let me say something else. You shouldn't even consider somebody who's not a believer. Listen, if you're dating... You shouldn't even date an unbeliever. Now, I don't care how you think about me. One guy told me one time, he said, you're so square, you're probably born in a box. That's all right, but it doesn't bother me. I'll stand before God, not you. But let me say something to you. Every date is a potential mate. You need to understand that. So don't put that in the mix. Don't start out that way. Say, I want God's best for my life. Now, there are some people who say, well, I love him or I love her. And they're not believers. But when we get married, I am going to win them to the Lord. They're going to come across. Well, there's a few exceptions to that. I mean, there's a few that have done that. But not the exception. I want to tell you, the stats are stacked against you, friend. I have dealt with so many people who said, my spouse does not love the Lord. It's foolish to think you can change somebody after you've married them. It won't happen. It doesn't happen. Only God can change people. So don't do that in the first place. Don't do that at all. When a couple is committed to Christ, by that I mean they're praying together, they're studying God's Word together, they're attending God's house together, they're growing together. You know when I told you that the divorce rate was one out of two? Do you know what it drops to when a 
couple is living like I just told you, it drops to one in 1,105 people. God makes a difference. That's what I'm trying to say. And he'll make a difference in your life when you choose to be obedient to his will in what you're doing. And if you choose to go against God's standard and marry somebody spiritually incompatible with you, then I want to tell you something. Chances are you'll be divorced in 10 years or less or you will live the rest of your life with an empty ache in your heart. And friend, I have so many of those stories I could share with you. Number two, we're talking about two principles that are non-negotiable in choosing a mate. That was the first one. Here's the second one. You must have life purpose, life purpose compatibility. Life purpose. What do you mean by that, Ken? Well, listen to this from Amos 3.3. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? And the answer is no. Now, my wife and I are married, obviously, and we agree to walk together. But let's suppose that Alice wants to go to Nashville and I want to go to Evansville. We can't walk together that way. And that's what happens when you have life purpose or incompatibility, when you should have compatibility. What do you mean by that? Let me tell you, it will be a conflict if you don't. Here's some implication from this, and you need to understand that. If you're not ready to get married, listen to me carefully, you're not ready to get married until you have identified and clarified God's purpose for your life. You know that? You're not to do that. That's what this church is for. That's one of the things we're supposed to be doing is helping you come to that place where you know God's plan for your life. You may both be believers and you both love the Lord. But you know God has given you a calling and a ministry and that you must fulfill that. That's God's plan for your life. Many people never discover their life ministry. They go through life without ever knowing that. That's why we exist and that's what we're supposed to be doing as a church. Let's suppose that you are a school teacher and you love the Lord and you've been called to inner city New York to teach school, make a difference for Christ in that place. And you have fallen in love with somebody, we'll say, who wants to be a missionary in China, a physician missionary in China. Both of you love the Lord, but you can't be compatible in that and have life purpose compatibility in a situation like that. So, friend, I'm saying you find out what God's called you to do, what he's made you and wired you to be before you choose your mate. Now, those are the non-negotiables. We're going to talk about some negotiables and what God has to say about those. When you know your life purpose and you fulfill that, you'll be blessed. Genesis 24, 7, notice this. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth and who spoke to me and who swore to me, saying to your descendants, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you and you will take a wife for my son from there. What does that mean, Kent? That means 
you start talking to God and praying, and God will show you where you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to do and the next step you're supposed to take. He had patience. Abraham had patience to wait on God. And he trusted God. He had faith to trust God. How many people miss God's will for their life because of fear? How many people are afraid that they're not going to get married? They have fear about that. Well, let me just tell you something, friend. There are worse things than not being married. One of them is being married to the wrong person. Do you hear me? You don't have to go and just do that for fear that you'll be left out. When you begin to wait on the Lord and trust the Lord, He provides. He provides. You don't want to marry the wrong one. Genesis 24, 12, as we go through this story, He said, O Lord, this is the servant now. O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show Loving kindness to my master Abraham. You know what loving kindness is? Anytime you find that in the Old Testament, it's a covenant word. It means a covenant between God and his followers. God will show you loving covenant, a loving kindness if you're willing to follow and wait on his will for your life. And so he says, God, show me who I'm supposed to pick as he goes to get a wife for his master's son. God's very clear on life purpose and compatibility. But now we're going to talk about some things that God gives us choices in. Genesis 24, 12. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show loving kindness to my master Abraham. And so now he begins to go and to find out about this. Ephesians 2, verse 10 says, to be clear on purpose and compatibility, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God, I need to know what you're asking me to do, what you've made me to do. Now the third thing that I want you to see is how God helps us personally in personal compatibility in this story. Notice, I said it helps. It's not that you have to have it, but it helps. Listen to it. There's no verse... That in God's Word that says you have to marry somebody just like you. You don't have to do that. But I'm going to give you some principles and you listen carefully. God's Word tells us to be smart and to use intelligence that He's given us. And He says it is smart to marry somebody as close to you in their likes. Let me tell you about marriage. We like opposites when we're looking for a mate. That's just our nature. It's something different and something new. And opposites attract until you're married and then opposites attack. I'm giving you good advice. This is the truth. It attacks. Let me tell you something. In these non-negotiables, especially in this... The more you have in common with a person that you want to marry and that wants to marry you, the smoother your marriage will be. There'll be less major differences between you. It's just logical. You need to have someone 
that has a lot of the same characteristics and likes and dislikes that you have. In this story, in Genesis 24, we see a portrait of God's choice. Notice what it says. Rebecca was pretty, verse 16 says. That, that's an interesting statement. I don't know any man looking for a bride who wants anything but a pretty bride. I've never found anyone who said, I'll take an ugly one. They want pretty brides. They do. It says this girl was beautiful. Do you know there's only five times in the Bible that God's Word speaks about being pretty or handsome? Only five times. And that's talking about physical appearance and beauty. But let me tell you something about this, about this woman that was pretty and what God's speaking about when He talks about pretty. There's nothing wrong with being pretty or handsome. Nothing at all. But let me tell you this, friend. God's talking about that adorning on the inside. The adorning of the hidden person. That's real beauty. That's real beauty. So she was pretty. Let me give you a second one. She was sexually pure. I want you to listen carefully. She was a virgin. God's will is that you be pure sexually and the person you're going to marry be pure sexually. Friend, I know that that's 100% contrary to what the world is saying. I don't care. You can say this little skinny preacher said this is what God says. I want you to know that if you have sex outside of marriage, God calls it either adultery or fornication. And God says that when that happens, you are sinning against your own body. I want to tell you, you're also jeopardizing your future marriage. You're also standing on a cliff that if some things become known, you're going to be in the most sorry position you have ever been. Friend, I want to tell you something. God wants you to save that as a gift from Him in the marriage and not outside the marriage. I know the world don't tell you that. I'm telling you what God tells you. That's what's important. Not only was she sexually pure, but verse 18 says she was courteous. She was courteous. Listen to that. She said, drink, my Lord. Now, you remember at this time, she has no idea who this servant is and why he's there. She don't know anything about him. But he says he's thirsty. And she says, drink, my Lord. And she quickly lowered her jar to her hand and gave him a drink. Courteous. You know what courteous or courtesy is? Courteousness is love in the little things. Love in the little things. And I want you to know if the person you're looking at and you're interested in is courteous, they'll be courteous to you. And if they're not, they won't. Let me show you something else about this woman. She was kind. Now remember, this also applies to a groom as it does to a bride. She was kind. Verse 19 says, I will draw also for your camels until they have finished drinking. Some commentaries say that that was probably 200 gallons of water. What a woman! He should have just picked her right then. Here she is. I don't know if it's 200 gallons, but I've always heard that, gallon, that they can, a camel can drink about 30 gallons if they're dry. I don't know how many he carried with him. But she feed waters those camels. 
Imagine that. And she drew for all the camels. She's industrious, verse 20 says. Goodness. Now remember, she don't know what this man's going to say or why he's here. Now she was faithful. Verse 58 comes after she has found out why he's there. That night, you remember, he would not eat. The servant would not eat until he had expressed and told that family what he was there for, what his mission was. And then when it's over with, he wants to know before they can sit down and eat what this young lady will do. And it's interesting in verse 58, then they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. I want to tell you something. Can you imagine the faith she exercised? Can you imagine all of this? Goodness, how decisive she was. She's just a young lady. We're talking seven to 800 miles. I want to tell you something else I found out about her. In verse 65, she was modest. Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? This is her talking, Rebecca, to the servant. And the servant said, he's my master. So she took her veil, which was really like a shawl. It wasn't just a veil over her face. So she took her veil and covered herself. Now, modesty, that's an old-fashioned word, isn't it? But boy, I want to tell you something. I wished it was back in fashion. I don't care whether you agree with me or not. Let me tell you something, all of you, whatever your age is, and I'm including myself, how we dress sends a message of who we are and what our intentions are. You understand me? I don't expect a lot of amens there, and I really don't care. I'm telling you God's Word. We are not modest in our nation anymore. We're not modest. We dress like the world, even if we claim to be God's children. She was a modest person. Check the background. Where did your potential mate learn to communicate? What's her family or his family like? How did they resolve conflicts? What role models did they have? Do you have common education levels? Do you have common intellectual, uh, intellectual skills? Do you communicate with each other? You can't resolve conflict if you don't. Do you have verbal skills? Do you have ambitions? Do you have child-rearing views that are compatible with each other? Do you have hobby and leisure activities? Does one of you have more energy than the other? Let your interests draw you together, not drive you apart. There are two errors people make, and I'm about to end this thing. There are two errors that people make. First one, when it comes to marriage, they take the Hollywood approach. The Hollywood, Hollywood's approach is simply, if you get a quiver in your liver, then you get married. I want to tell you, if you're operating on your hormones, you're in trouble you're in trouble. Let me tell you the other era. era. It's the heavenly era. Sitting around waiting for God to make a decision for you. He's not going to do it. He's not going to do that. I give you some life application. Six ways that will make a marriage what God wants it to be. I list them there. 
I hope you'll keep that. Begin a relationship with Christ. And some of you are married to a believer or some of you are married to an unbeliever. If you're sitting with an unbeliever or a believer in this place today, I just pray you let God speak to you and tell you that you can have so much more in your marriage when you give your life to Him. Make a commitment to God's standard in a marriage uh, partner. Do it right now. Do it today. Identify and clarify your life purpose. Jeremiah 29, verse 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Get involved with other believers, other Christians. Go slow and find out all you can before you tie that knot. Isaiah 50, verse 11, from the Amplified. Listen to this. Listen carefully, all you who kindle your own fire, devising your own man-made plan of salvation, who surround yourself with torches, walk by the light of your self-made fire, and among the torches that you have set ablaze. You following? Now listen to this. But this you will have from my hand. You will lie down in a place of torment. You try to make it all work by your hand and instead of following God's will and you'll lie down in a bed of torment. Couldn't have said it better myself. Get premarital counseling. Get premarital counseling. So important. Now, wives, you have your husbands here next Sunday. Don't you let him miss. We're going to talk about families because I want to tell you this church is a family and it's made up of families. And when your family is in trouble and my family's in trouble, our family's in trouble. And some of you have families that are struggling and I just want to tell you it starts with your relationship with Christ you may be a believer but you may be outside of his will right now I want to encourage you you ask God to forgive you because your marriage is worth saving and it's worth building and it's worth improving on if you're an unbeliever if you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior would you do that right today Would you ask God to save you? He will save you if you ask Him and you mean that. And by faith, you believe Him and trust Him to save you. Would you do that? And then it just may be that husbands and wives, you may want to come and pray together. You can do it in this church. And you can just say, we want to strengthen our marriage. And you can ask God and talk to God about that. But I want to tell you something. I believe this church is no stronger than its families. And I believe that Satan is hitting against our families as he hits against our church. 